Father in heaven, thank you very much for uh, life today. I want to uh, recommit ourselves to you again, both in uh, what we think about and what we do. Give us wisdom to understand. Thank you. Amen. Growing garlic at home in your garden and growing garden, garlic, 10,000, 20,000 plants, is a very different thing when you're trying to grow garlic by the acre. And so I have learned. And as some of you may have heard last night, the thing about garlic is you get one batch per year. So I have five batches of garlic in me. That's half a day's worth of my normal work. So I haven't learned nearly enough to tell you folks how to grow garlic commercially. But they asked me to put on the class, so I thought, well, this would be a great opportunity for me to learn from you guys how to do it right. So I'll put up some slides, and I'll tell the microphone what you all say so that it can be recorded on Audioverse. All right. So garlic. Garlic, there's a lot of interest in garlic right now because it is a high value per acre crop. It is uh, a high retail, uh, retail value, particularly when you're doing it for seed. Seed garlic tends to be, uh, at least in my area, anywhere from on the low side, $10 per pound, all the way up to uh, 20, you know, 18 to $20 per pound. And that's pretty incredible, especially if you can get a decent bulb of garlic that's a third of a pound. You know, we're talking $6 a plant here. That's, that's phenomenal. I would suggest that it's unreasonably phenomenal. How long that bubble will last, we don't know. It's going to be like a housing market, and at some point it's going to shift with supply, the, the laws of supply and demand. Uh, one of the challenging things, of course, is on the supply side because some of us are having difficulty scaling it up and growing it. So there's still an opportunity for lots of other people to get in on the, on the bandwagon. Having said that, the, if you're going to get to that scale where, where you're growing a lot of garlic in the, in the acreage amounts, where you're going to be able to sell it now changes and your price drops. Now generally as a rule of thumb for those of you who are considering getting into, how many are interested in commercial farming overall? Okay, again maybe 50% of the class, a little bit less. So when you get into commercial farming, agriculture, you have to make that decision. Are you going to go for, for, for volume? to the wholesale market, or are you, and, and then you get an easy sell. The reason, one of the reasons why we went to wholesale is because in one phone call and with one delivery, I can sell as much product at as much value as I could through 30 to 50 other transactions and trying to manage all of that. So for us, simplistically, we didn't want to be doing the sales end. We wanted to be doing the production end. So we're into the wholesale business. As a general rule of thumb, when you're doing wholesale, uh, you're going to be about 50% of retail. So just pretty rough guidelines in the produce uh, business. Generally, you're gonna, if you're going to go to a distributor, the distributor is going to mark it up by um, 20 to 30 points, they call it. Uh, the math is a little bit funny on that, so it's not 20 to 30%. That'll be a, something for another conversation, but 20 to 30 points. So if you're selling it at retail, for $10 a pound, you're going to be able to sell it to them for $5. They're going to sell it, um, they're going to sell it for about $650 to $680. And then the retailer is going to mark that up by another 40 points, and they're going to get it up to the $10 point. So your price point versus theirs is different. Now, when you're selling direct to the retailer, by the way, if you decide to take the, the less wholesale, wholesale route, the sort of half wholesale, uh, you'll be able to do about 60%, even 70% sometimes of the retail price. So factor that into your, your math when you're doing it. So when you're doing garlic, generally the wholesale market, if you're going to be doing it by the pound, now this is in Canada, I can't comment to what your pricing is down here in the U.S. Uh, I've noticed though, when I was checking out salad prices, that you're in a very different market here than, than, than we are. I saw 11, this is my next class, but you know, 11 ounces of salad for $1.99 in a pillow pack bag. That's, that's pretty mind-blowing to me. Um, we don't have anything less than a $3.99 11 ounce salad pack, and off, more often than that, they're, they're you know, $4.59 um, and so on for, for that type of a pack. In the hard clamshells, Nothing is, is less than $4.99 up in 
uh, BC, where I'm from. So on the garlic pricing, I didn't have a chance to check it out, but generally 50% of retail where I am, you're going to be able to uh, push that out wholesale to a distributor for $5 a pound. You might be able to do it for $6 a pound if you're going to certain specialty stores. You could even be able to ratchet that up depending on those laws of supply and demand because garlic suppliers, at least in my region, are notoriously variable for the amount of production they're offering per year. This farmer comes on, they change their plan, this other one comes off, and so on. So you can sort of count on that. I won't uh, speak about the virtues of garlic. I assume many people here know about it, the different uh, species and the different um, growing uh, or the physiological differences between the hard neck and the soft neck. Just going to assume that in, well, maybe I shouldn't. Does everybody know the differences between hard neck and soft neck garlic? Okay. So this is hard neck garlic. You can see because it has this, uh, this stem in the middle. Basically, hard neck garlic is more like a tulip. It will, it will put out a hard central stalk that will have a flowering, um, yeah, it's escape. There's another name. Uh, it comes out with an umbel, and it puts uh, uh, out actual blossoms that can be pollinated. They aren't usually. There's another conversation about that. It also puts out um, bulbils, which are mini bulbs that are a uh, genetic identical to the, to the root. So hardneck has this hard central stalk, softneck does not. In general, hardneck needs to be grown with a little bit more care because you want to place it more carefully, generally. I'll disagree with myself shortly on that. So if you, if you place hardneck straight down, it takes a while for that neck to come out and, and curl back up, delays the emergence time, reduces the amount number of hours it gets to sunlight exposure, and overall the plant will, will be smaller, but also you'll get a crooked neck. And in the retail market, uh, especially the specialty stuff, they like a longer neck, and they don't like it to be crooked. So you need to put a little more care into growing hard neck garlic. Uh, some say, and I confess here, I'm a garlic, I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant when it comes to the subtleties of garlic. Some people can tell the difference between flavors and heat and so on. I've tasted and tested 20 different varieties of garlic. Occasionally you can tell the difference in heat, particularly in the raw stage. Not even occasionally, frequently you can in the raw stage. Once they're cooked, you know, there are different subtleties. I found some, you know, the, the, the flavor is there without the heat, but I don't know, I'm just not enough of a garlic snob to be able to tell you there is a defined benefit, flavor-wise or otherwise, to the other. Right now, because it takes specialty uh, growing practices, hardneck is receiving quite a bit of popularity. So in terms of value and getting your customer on board and having them you know, be loyal to your product, hardneck is more the way to go. If you're going to be in the volume market, softneck is generally easier to deal with. Softneck can be just as big as hardneck and sometimes bigger. It tends to grow in the more southern regions. Uh, the northern regions, hardneck does quite well, depending on certain varieties as well. But uh, the other thing about softnecks is generally you plant them a little sooner, harvest them a little sooner. Hardnecks, you generally plant them a little later, harvest them a little later. So the thing that I've learned, or that I try to do, maybe I haven't learned it, Okay. My wife's grandma, Marilyn Smith, some of you may or may not know her, she passed away a few years ago here, and we miss her greatly. One of the first times I was with her in her kitchen, I don't know how it came up, but she said to me, Imian, this is, this is the way she operated in her home and with her family, because her grandma taught her this. She said, do what you are, do what you can, where you are with what you have on hand. So when it comes to, to getting into agriculture, you know, rather than laying out some significant investment, and I know it's been talked about in the market gardening class uh, upstairs and so on, you want to ease into these things. Unless you're experienced and know it, you want to ease into it, do what you can, where you are, without, with what you have on hand, without some substantial investment uh, that's, that's untried or unproven. So right at the beginning of the growing process, we break the garlic, and I just hope that this is going to play for us here. You don't need to worry about the volume. You're going to have to imagine a couple of things here. 
you're going to have to imagine that this little wooden hopper is full of garlic because I missed, uh, I, I missed the timing of it that day when I took the video, so the hopper's empty. What we do, you can break the garlic by hand, and that is by far better than what I'm doing here. What I'm doing here, because we go through a significant volume of it, is we put these little slats, these little bars right here, on a conveyor, and we have those little bars uh, come underneath a foam board, a foam padded board with a rubber conveyor belt underneath it. There are other ways to break garlic. You can buy mechanical systems or, or build mechanical systems based on Ermi, who's a good manufacturer out of France. There's another, uh, there's another manufacturer out of Portugal, JJ Broach. Those are the two biggest garlic equipment uh, cultivation and, and, and propagation uh, manufacturers out there. There's a few other small players in the market, but those are the two big ones, ERME, Ermi, or JJ Broach, JJBROCH. I did my own knockoff of, of what they are because this is what I happen to have on hand. I happen to have a piece of conveyor and I was able to put it all together with you know $10 worth of materials that I had kicking around. So let me just show you what happens here. Assume that this hopper is full. The bars come underneath. They're gonna grab, they're gonna grab a garlic right here in this corner and it's going to run it under a table that I thought I was going to show you. Unfortunately, and this is why it's better to do by hand, <laughs> when you run some of those bulbs under, by the way, they should be sized, because garlic does come out of the field at different sizes. You want a uniform bulb when you're doing the breaking stage if you're going to do it mechanically, because when you run it under that table, you're going to create a rolling action. That rolling action Okay, tends to just bust apart the clothes and it does a beautiful job of it. I get, say, somewhere less than 5%, generally I would say it's in the 1% range, where a clove actually gets caught in there in an unhappy position and the clove splits. So the bulb is the whole thing, the clove is the individual segment, the clove splits. When the clove splits, it's now vulnerable to disease in the field, you put it in, it's likely going to uh, it's likely going to give up the ghost, as it were, to, uh, to fungal pressure and mold in the soil. So I'm doing four acres this year. I'm okay with one to three percent giving up the ghost because of the speed efficiencies it gained me versus breaking it by hand. If you want to break it by hand, there's a couple of interesting things to consider. One, you can do it with your absolute freshest marketable garlic, which has 10, or oh, sorry, not 10, three to four full intact skins on it. And especially if you do it later on in the fall when there's a little bit more humidity, you'll find it's nearly impossible to break these things. Three to four skins and you're putting pressure on that and with the humidity that's in the skin, I mean, it's just, it's brutal. So when you think about breaking garlic, you want it to be really dry. One of the other things to consider is if you want to reduce the amount of skin load you have on your garlic is you could leave seed in the soil for an extra few weeks with moisture and allow that, that, that paper to um, break down by itself, which garlic will naturally do. Those papers will decompose. If you don't harvest at the right time and you leave your garlic in the soil for uh, you know, up into the August, mid-August, late August, and there's still moisture in the soil, uh, that, those papers will break down by themselves, and boy, let me tell you, they, they come apart dandy. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Most people choose to selectively um, take their largest bulbs, and I would like to tell you that I found more of a relationship between the largest clove and the largest bulb than I have between the largest bulb and the largest bulb. What am I saying there? Let me just come back here. Within this clove, this is a decent sized clove. You can see early on in the year, this is probably June or some period of time. There's still a lot of energy that's going to be moving from the, what's the, the, the skin layers into the plant and these, there will still be swelling of these little pieces. But you've got very different sized cloves here. So this would, will be a, a decently large bulb but this one will not produce the size of bulb next year that this one will, has been my finding. So you'll find that the commercial 
uh, garlic seed preparation companies, they sort their cloves and they plant their biggest cloves, not particularly their biggest bulbs. There's probably some de philosophical debate on there that I couldn't adequately engage in, but that's what, that's what I've found so far, and, and that's what the commercial guys have, have shown. So after we break apart the garlic, we plant it. By the way, from the time you break until the time you plant, you want to minimize that period of time. Garlic, once broken, you've, you've triggered a biological process. Once you separate it from the basal plate, it's triggered to root. It's also triggered to root by moisture. So once you get into a humid environment in the fall, um, if you're not planning to, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're not planning to plant your garlic and you want to store it as long as possible, dry storage conditions are important. If it's outdoors and you have a rain, it doesn't take very many rains, and even if it's, if it's able to share that outdoor air, but the garlic didn't get wet itself, it's just in a shed somewhere, uh, it will absorb moisture from the air sufficient to trigger its own, uh, its own sprouting. So if you're not wanting to plant it and you're wanting to keep it, keep it dry. The planted stuff uh, that you're going to use for seed also should be kept dry because of ease of breaking. Um, but from the time that you break until the time you plant, you should minimize it so that the, the, the skin doesn't break down. So you avoid fungal pressures. <clears throat> and I'm talking on the order of days here. So if you, if you split your garlic, you want to plant it, I would say, within a week, preferably within two to three days. Many people plant by hand. I don't because it's just it's going to be too awkward for me for that volume of acre, that, that volume of space. So I'm doing about 100,000 plants per acre. So this year I'll have 400,000 plants, we hope, in the ground. And um, that's, a, that's a lot of work like this. When we first did, started garlic, we did what everybody else does. You, you, you grab a, you, you, maybe you take those spike things you see online and, and you make marks in the ground and then you have somebody come on and you put a single bulb in each hole. If you're doing specialty premium garlic and you're doing it direct to retail, that's a model you can consider. If you're going to do wholesale, you can't do it that way. It's not going to, the, the numbers aren't going to work out at the end of the season for you. So if you're doing specialty garlic to a small local mar market, your farmer's markets, your local community, who you're going to get you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 customers who are going to buy anywhere from 3 pounds to 10 pounds a year for their family, that's perfect. Go ahead and do it that way. Put every bulb uh, facing root down. That's the basal plate down. You, you, you put it to a certain depth, different, uh, different seed sizes in general. I'm sure all of you gardeners already follow that principle. The bigger the seed, the deeper it can go. Uh, if you're not going to do it and you're going to go with the wholesale market, mechanical planting is the way to go. So a little YouTube university and I've seen a few different planter styles. I happen to have this machine which was a, uh, a plug transplanter and I modified the plug transplanter to become a garlic planter. So this is how I plant. There's going to be a number of things that come up when we watch the video. Planting depth, planting position, planting density. I'll try to cover it as we, we go through the video itself. And if I miss something, please remember in my behalf and ask. This is what I've done. It's not ideal. If I can eventually get garlic to work for me, I'm going to buy a JJ brooch or an Ermi planter. And I'll tell you why. This one doesn't grab the bulb every time. You'll see as I go through the video, there's a couple of flaws. But before I even get to the grabbing of the bulbs and the positioning of them and so on, let's talk about seeding depth. And let's talk about the principles here. These are, and if my wife were here, she's not good, so she can't call me out on it. These are theories. And I'm very quick to assert theory as um, law. These are my personal theories. If you agree with them or don't agree with them, that's fine. If they agree with somebody else's philosophy or don't, <clears throat> that's fine. And I'm perfectly willing to change my mind. As soon as this theory doesn't work out for me, I'm perfectly willing. I'm not committed to it. I'm perfectly willing to change it. My theory in general with plants is this. Sunshine is good for them. 
You want them to get up and you want them to get exposed to the sun and begin that process of, of growth that generates storage sugars and so on and so forth, all the cellular development. So many people where I am, they delay planting uh, garlic until late in the fall and they plant you know, three to four inches deep. That's the, the home gardener. I've done that. When you have small seed, you can completely lose the seed. By the time that soil comes through three, that little, you know, a small clove, by the t that's say a half inch to five, half inch diameter by three quarter inch tall clove. By the time that comes through four inches of soil and three to four inches of mulch, it's late in the season by the time it's emerged through that, and it comes through as a spindly yellow little uh, set of shoots. And it struggles the rest of the season has been my experience. So if you think about how garlic grows in nature, it sits there, it stays in the ground, and sometime, often in late September where I am, I'm in a zone 7B, sometime in late September, those volunteers that I didn't get harvested out of the ground, they pop out of the soil. They're already emerging. How many of those volunteers lose, do I lose over the winter and die? Well, I've done a few little test plots and they actually survive quite well, uh, with or without mulch, interestingly. My assumption has been that the, the fall photosynthesis gives that, that, that little bulb has used its storage energy to get emergence. Once it's gotten emergence, it's now trying to replenish some of its, its stores, its reserves, and therefore if you can get a little photosynthesis in the fall, I believe, theory, I believe that we increase the survival weight through the winter and the resistance to frost. So, good thing my wife's not here because she would harass me about that. I've had so many theories fail. <laughs> Just being honest with you. So I plant shallow, plant two inches-ish. It's difficult to manage planting depth mechanically because on, on this planter, and it's one of the flaws, planting depth is relative to tire height. Tire height is relative to track, the, the wheel track position. Sometimes bed surface varies relative to track position. So the soil might have a slight rise, but the tires didn't, and therefore that garlic gets planted deeper. So there's variability there. A better machine would have uh, soil depth or planting depth relative to bed surface, not tire surface. So some other flaws about this machine. If you watch some of these cloves fall off before they get to the, the dump chutes. These dump chutes are just old chimney pipe. Fold it together, braise it up, make it into a chute, drops down into a piece of steel tubing that goes down into the shoe. I didn't draw the, I didn't show you the shoes here, but all you need in the shoe, looking from the top, that's the travel direction. You just need something to open the ground, a little triangular anything. Ideally, you're going to use stainless steel because mild steel tends to uh, corrode very quickly and then your soil builds up on it and then it becomes a funny furrow. So you want to use a stainless, if, if you can, you can use a plastic, something that's going to uh, release the soil and give you a nice even furrow. If it's, if it's not, you tend to ball up on soil and then it creates a much wider furrow than you would prefer to close. So once you're open, you just need to have a drop chute. When you go down through the drop chute, if I were to show you the back side of this drop chute, if this was my tube dropping down, I have an opening here at the bottom. That bottom of my drop tube is a quarter inch above the soil surface. A couple of key things, with this being the direction of travel, a couple of key things with you doing it mechanically, if you're going to do it, is you want to firm that soil bed. So my shoes are, they have a, a smoothing surface 
and they're, they're smoothing the soil bed like this because I want to pack that soil. I want it kind of like a hard path. One of the reasons why I want it to be a hard path is because I'm somewhat concerned about position. This is where I argue with myself about the hard neck position before. Mechanically, it's just too difficult to get the stem to be up and the basal plate down. So far as I know, nobody's come up with a design to be able to do that consistently. So my goal is actually get to get the garlic to lie on its side. When it lies on its side, I find that it has little to no trouble straightening out. It's when it's past that 45 degree and it's more straight down that I get a significant curl. If it's 45 or less, I find it has almost no issue finding which way is up and emerging and having, in, believe it or not, a straight stem in the end. So the reason why I smooth that soil surface is because when you drop cloves of garlic onto that flat surface, they tend to roll and they settle and they settle flat. If it's soft and you've got a V-shape in there, the, the, the way it comes down the chute is the way it stays. It falls in, it's completely surrounded by soft soil and it can't move. I want my garlic to roll. So, where did I get lost here? Some of the problems are the garlic hops off before I would like it to. That means that this one is falling off and this one is falling off at the same time. So my spacing is not even. Sometimes they fall off here or they never even fill up on the way through. So if you watch, you'll see that some of these little cups aren't even full of garlic. Here you can see the, uh, a little bit of the flat flattening. The light isn't great, but you can see a little bit of the flattening and how the garlic tends to bounce and roll a little bit before it gets covered. If I were to improve this particular one, I would have shields. I have shields here that keep the soil from falling in on the bent clove. I have them there already. If I were to make this an improved version, I would extend those a little further to give the garlic a little more time to settle before the soil falls back in on it. I'm halfway through my time and I'm a quarter of the way through my presentation. So, positioning. You know, 3 to 5% might have a bent stem. Uh, when I've actually counted it, I've actually gotten as little as 1%, so I'm trying to be on the most conservative side. I don't want to project too much optimism because sometimes we tend to do that in farming. Could have up to 3 to 5% of bent stems when I plant it that way. I, I tend that, to find that that's not the case, but when it comes to spacing, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying, depending on the size of your bulb. Now, the bulb size is a function of your available nutrient, the growing conditions, your water, so on. Water has a huge amount to do with the sizing of your garlic. The, uh, the size of your bulb has so many different factors, not the least of which is the genetic potential in the bulb. But having had great genetic potential, you may have started with seeds that was monster, one-third, you know, three to the pound kind of garlic, and you can get 16 to the pound kind of garlic by the end of a year or two if things don't go the way they should, even though the genetic potential is still there. The genes haven't changed. So generally, when you're looking for big garlic and you're able to grow it well and you've figured all the rest of the details out, the bigger your bulb, the larger the space. So elephant garlic tends to be one to two, you know, per foot, per row foot. And they, they tend to be on more like 18-inch centers row to row. I'm dealing with smaller garlic. I'm filling it into those little mesh bags that you can buy with a UPC code because I talked about that in a, in a previous talk. But I like UPC codes because it makes it easier for my customer, who's a retail store, to commit to it. Oh, it's easy to scan through. Nobody will confuse it with that non-labeled, non-organic garlic that they paid 70 cents a pound for. And therefore, they're not going to lose money if some... Uh, checkout clerk accidentally charges non-organic price for the organic garlic that I charge them $10 a pound for or $8 a pound. So I put the UPC code on that so that it scans through and it takes out the human error of the checkout clerk. It's an easy sale. Easy sale for me. So because I do that, I'm actually looking for smaller garlic. Not looking for mon monster garlic. 
So I tend to, to look for an average, and this is the failure of my planter. Sometimes I have no drop. You know, I'm, right there you can see I dropped at least one, maybe two cloves. But in general, I'm looking for one every three to four inches. That's, that's what I'm looking for. If you've got monster garlic and you've got a good variety, you might do it every six to eight inches. Now, garlic is often grown on a grid. So some people do, you know, 12 by 6. Some people do 8 by 8. Notice those numbers are fairly similar. 8 by 8 is 64 square inches. 12 by 6 is 72 square inches. I'm doing 3 by 12, which is 36, or 4 by 12, which is up to 48 square inches per plant. So the more space you give a plant, the more potential collection of solar energy it has. There's going to be a limitation there. You're going to go beyond what the plant actually needs if you space it out too much, or you could crowd it if you space it too tight. In general, that's what I'm going for. To mulch or not to mulch? Has anybody not mulched their garlic here? Some have? If you don't mulch, raise your hand. Okay, there's... Fantastic. If you do mulch, raise your hand. Okay, I would say we're at sort of 8 to 8 kind of thing. We're about 50-50. Good. The great mulch debate. Last year I mulched, the year before I didn't. The year before, then this year I haven't mulched. And uh, three years ago I did. It's been a little frustrating trying to figure this out. 2017, the spring of 2017, we had a long cold winter. We had frost the entire year, uh, the entire winter, and it, but it came out very suddenly. About February 15th, it was a Thursday, it was a Thursday night, and we went from steady minus 10 with a foot of snow on the ground, and we rarely get much snow in Lillooet. We had a foot of snow on the ground, and we went from minus 10 to plus 6 in rain. So all that snow starts coming off the mountain, and it, it's, it's flowing across the fields. Very quickly, at plus six, the frost starts coming out of the ground on the top, but it's actually driving it down, for those of you who are familiar with the behavior of frost. You know, the top starts to soften a couple of inches, but the frost actually goes deeper. So by Friday night, I'm left with this. I'm left with surface water. I'm left with wet area, and this area is all soaking wet, and this area is frost. This will be my ice cube to let you know it's frozen. And that's a water droplet to let you know it's not frozen. Where does my garlic live? My garlic is living in the top three inches. Saturday night, it drops to minus 17 Celsius. By the way, these are all Celsius temperatures. What do you think happens? to the top two to three inches of soil. It freezes. It freezes, solid. Because this water had nowhere to go. My topsoil was completely saturated. I did not have serious enough raised beds. My raised bed was only a, a two inch raised bed. I probably should have had a three or four. So the water had nowhere to go. It saturated my garlic, and I got 90% kill after this. I had, four, I had five acres of garlic in the ground. And after, when March came up, I found I had the equivalent of about a half an acre worth of garlic spread across five acres worth of area. So I go and I weed five acres, and I finish fertilizing five acres, and I finish doing all this, and I harvest a half an acre of garlic. These are some of the things we learn. So you think, I go right at, right at that time, after I, this was uh, middle February when that happened, Beginning of March, I come in and, and I, I notice that I've got a serious kill. I dig up plants and find that they're decomposing and they're just not, they're not gonna, they're not gonna make it. So I go and I check my neighbor's property and the neighbors have mulch. Guess what? They're fine. The neighbors never thawed. The neighbors never thawed. The other neighbor who didn't mulch, he basically lost everything as well. So I thought, man, mulch is key to keeping the frost in the ground and preventing me from having this unusual circumstance. It was a one in 40 year event that occurs in our region. It's, I remember it happening once because I grew up there. It happened once in 1985. 
and it hasn't happened since. Nobody remembers it. Most even of the old timers don't even remember an event happening, happening like that. I remember it because I was a little boy, and when that water comes rushing down the mountains like that, we're in a very steep canyon, as you can see. Uh, it's very steep terrain. It's, it makes the coolest little canyons in the gravel driveways. And as a little boy, if you've got trucks and excavators and things like that, that's the place to play because these gorges in the driveways can go to two to three feet deep. And they're, they are awesome. So I remember it distinctly. It happened in 1985. Same event. Hasn't happened since. The problem for me with mulch is I can no longer mechanically weed. So you'll see, you'll see what happens. So I mulched this last winter because I was afraid of that. I made a mulch spreader out of an old silage wagon. Do what you can where you are with what you have on hand. So we chopped this up and modified it and made it so that it could spread alfalfa hay out on the ground. I should have done oat straw or barley straw. Some people are winking at me. That's where I could have learned. We should have done this class last year, and then you could have cleared me up on this. So look at this. June 11th. How's my weed pressure? I have some. Overall, not too shabby. I've got, I've got mustard, okay, here. Believe it or not, most of that mustard is in the aisles. Not too shabby. Watch the dates. Watch closely. June 24th. <laughs> Two weeks later. Find the garlic. Can you see any garlic in here? Okay. I've got mustard. I've got morning glory like crazy. I've got grass. Two weeks. How can I get through? And June 11th is when I started weeding by hand with a crew of six people. By the time you get to June 24th, it's a little tough. So this is what it looks like after you pull the weeds out. This row looked just like this row. The garlic's in there, and it's actually not doing too bad. Watch the dates. We go through, and we hand weed, which costs. When you're paying employees, it costs a lot, especially when they work one-third the rate that you work. <laughs> and you make your garlic sales projections and your numbers based upon a reduced amount, you know, 80% of your own effort. You think that that's what they're going to put out. Okay, I can weed an acre of garlic in 30 hours, but I move fairly quickly. I have one employee who can also do that. Wish I had 10 of him. The other employees, the unemployment rate in our region is high. <laughs> So when you're, that, that's convenient because I'm looking for seasonal workers. It has its downside. So there's lots of available help in the summer. It has its downside that the general principle is if, that, if you're unemployed in the middle of the summer, there is, there is some causal relationships there. So I tend not to get the fastest workers. Okay, this is July 13. I'm topping. I'm topping mechanically with a sickle bar mower. Notice the weeds. Remember what they looked like on the 24th. This is another two and a half weeks later. Okay? Watch. This is after having paid employees to go through and remove all the visible plants they could. I guess they couldn't take out enough morning glory. So I mechanically topped. If I had not mulched, I would have been able to deal with this mechanically. So as soon as I saw that debate, my question in the spring is, you know, do I, do I remove the mulch? I'm in extremely sandy soil. So the mulch has uh, moisture management benefits to me. Do I remove the mulch and get through it mechanically or do I leave it on? You know, you make a judgment call, you're dealing with other fires on the farm. So I left the mulch on and this was my result this year. But he did the topping. So mechanically topping, I don't get every, every single one, uh, but I get 90% of them. In general, when you're growing hardneck garlic, you want to pull off that scape. And, you know, some people agree with it, some people don't agree with it. I find that there is a significant size-up benefit to pulling off the scape when you do it at the right time. There's a bit of a de debate if you uh, read the book uh, Growing Great Garlic by Ron England. He has a bit of a point saying that if you wait until the stem begins to uncurl and straighten up, he finds that he gets longer shelf life. He thinks that the hardening of the stem is related to some hardening, some hormonal change that happens in the root, and it will give you longer shelf life in the bulb. I, I, I don't have solid feedback on that, but what I do have is that if the earlier you can get the scape, the bigger your bulb will be. 
it may reduce your shelf life. But if you can get that scape out as soon as it's emerged from the plant, you will have the plant redirect its energy into producing seed from bulb rather than seed from bulbil. And that'll be a good thing for your marketability if you can manage the shelf life and storage. How much is the reduction in shelf life? I, I haven't observed reduction in shelf life. So Ron England uh, makes uh, anecdotal comments there um, from an experience. He had one winter doing it where he had, he had to delay his, his uh, trimming of the tops and <clears throat> no, no other numbers than that. So what do I do? I've got to, to uh, mid to late July, it's time to harvest my garlic, and these weeds have come up again. What do I do? How do I get my garlic out of the ground? I undercut it. Before I undercut it, I take an old hay rake and I rake off the mulch and you'll see what it does to the weeds. It's quite remarkable. This is an unraked row. You can see that the mulch and the weeds here have been pushed over to that row and my employees can now see the garlic stems. They can't see them over here. So we rake that stuff off it tears off leaves, so you need to do this after your size up has occurred. If you end up getting to this desperate of a situation, you need to do it after size up has occurred. And you want to recognize that some of those hardening off benefits you get in the curing of your garlic, where the nutrients are, are mined by the bulb and they're taking nutrients out of the plant tissue, you've now reduced the resource there because there's less plant tissue for them to mine because you will have torn off some of those bulbs. Having said that, there is an interesting thing about the weeding of garlic mechanically that you'll note here. These garlic plants, especially in the small stage, they can bear a surprising amount of handling. That's a tip and a trick, a bit of an insight for how I'm planning to attack this year's garlic weeds without mulch mechanically, because they can take a surprising amount of, uh, of manhandling. Ideally, without ripping the leaves off, uh, when I do it this year, but you can just see what happens at harvest time. Once I get to there, I undercut the garlic with a little undercutter bar I made out of a grater blade. You want to undercut when the soil is reasonably dry. You want to ma manage your moisture. Garlic likes water, likes lots of it, especially in a sandy soil where I am. It likes to stay damp consistently, evenly, not dry out and and, and be heavily watered. Even consistent moisture is very important to garlic, especially in my soils. So this undercutter bar, you like to do it, you like to taper off by the time the scape is starting to stand up. In soft neck garlic, by the time it's starting to wilt, you need to be having had dry ground. Soft neck garlic tends to behave a little bit more like onion in that, in that way it, it'll, it'll fall over when it's letting you know it's ready to come out. Garlic, when it's ready to come out, it'll stand up the, the scape. You can wait till longer, but there's a good chance a lot of your papers will be compromised, or some of your papers will be compromised. That's why you want to be drying out towards the end, because you want, uh, you want to reduce the fungal activity in the soil as that garlic begins to go through its, its, its changes and its final segmentation and size up. You want to reduce those fungal pressures because they'll automatically start breaking down your papers. After undercutting, you can leave it in the soil for a day or two, as long as the soil is dry, three days, and you get a bit of a hardening off. That hardening off is important for a couple of things. It seems to be important to just toughen the outer skin so that if you're going to be handling the garlic, it doesn't bruise as easily. It also, uh, it also seems to have a benefit for exposure to sun. Everybody told me before this year, you know, this is li listening to the wisdom of your elders. Not everybody. Some people told me before this year, don't let your garlic see the sun. In previous years, I've had garlic come out, be on top of the ground, be on top of the ground all summer. And at the end of the summer, you can pick it up and it looks no different. And this is, this is the hottest part of Canada. We see 40 degrees Celsius in the summer. And we, we have hot, incredibly dry days, intense sunlight. And I've had garlic be on the surface all summer long and be fine. So I thought, that's, that's an old wives' tale. This summer I harvested, this is this summer, I harvested the hottest week of the year. It was consistently 38 to 40 every day this week that I harvested. We pulled it up, we get it on top of the ground. We had half of my fields harvested. 
and I go and I start looking at the garlic, and it's begun the process of sugar breakdown. It's bruised. It has sunburn. This is the beginning of the process of making it into black garlic, incidentally, which is a whole other thing, but it's not marketable. I would say 30% of the garlic that I had up on the ground was too exposed to the sun, and I lost it. I had to use it for seed. As soon as I saw that was happening, I took some of the mulch here, and we put it on top of these piles of garlic that were field curing, and for everything else that we did afterwards, fantastic. It field cured, it was in the shade, the temperature must have been sufficient, and excellent field cure. The la very last row or so that I brought out, okay, and I bring it into my closed shed, and I stack it tightly, reasonably tightly, with the bulbs up, trying to get them to, and the bulbs exposed to the air to try to finish the cure. And those that did not have three plus days of hot field cure, the stems molded. So we didn't get as much nutrient mining there as I might have liked. When I bring it off the field, I put it on pallets. I stick all the bulbs out so that they can finish curing, and then those pallets go into my sheds for, uh, for a final cure. Ideally, by the time, as I mentioned, they go into this pallet stage, your stems are dry. Most people who are not working at this uh, volume, they will bunch their garlic and they'll hang it from the ceiling, so there's lots of airflow around the entire thing. Some people theorize that if you hang it, uh, if you hang it so that it's bulbs down that you'll get a little bit of the benefit of the gravity. Whether there's truth to that or not, I don't know. We then clean our garlic, same machine as before, just taking off the hopper. This is just a set of rotary brushes, tends to brush off the skins. It also does a bit of a breaking of the roots for me, so I do not trim roots. I've already trimmed the stems at this point. Don't trim the roots. The machine does it for me. It comes out and I've modified the machine to be a set of tapered rollers that, that has variable space. Now this garlic isn't particularly clean because it was too moist by the, this particular run. It was, it was still too wet when we were running it. The drier it is, the easier it cleans. These rollers are slightly tapered, so smaller garlic drops out here and larger garlic drops out. The easier way to do this if you're doing it in small volumes is to, um, is to have a set of nails. I should have brought a picture of that. You can have uh, uh, varied width sets of nails, and you can just put every bulb down through there, and if it passes through the bottom, you know it's too big. And if you hit on nail two, it can be size two. If it hits on nail three, you can size three. We've done fairly quick sizing by hand that way, and uh, that's highly functional as well if you're on low volumes. Once it's sized, uh, we would have already trimmed it. We store it, we pack it, we label it, we ship it, we send out an invoice, hopefully we get paid. So this is commercializing the crop on a larger scale. I've got a lot to learn. My first question is, do any of you have some tips for me for what I should be doing this next year. I've used plastic mulch too. And I've had, uh, I've had rhizominous weeds, grass in particular, uh, but others as well, come up right through the holes that I've planted in and be so dominant that uh, I've reduced the size of my crop that way too. It's quite, it's quite difficult to weed as well, but yes, that's potentially a benefit. My other problem with the, the plastic mulch where I am is I'm getting creek water out of this, uh, there's a gully right here. I get creek water out, and removing the sediment to use drip is uh, proved to be a bit of a challenge. Morning glory lookalikes will do come out the hole. Yes, actually, morning glory lookalikes will come out the mulch hole, but also the cooch grass will uh, penetrate the mulch. It'll actually poke right through. Yes, yes, morning glory can can move for an extended period of time. I know you made a comment in our uh, soil meeting the other day um, about solarizing and the ability to kill certain plants using the heat generated by black plastics or clear plastics and so on. I have um, bindweed. I have a bindweed in my one of my fields. I have one patch of bindweed. I decided I'm going to solarize this stuff by putting clear, clear greenhouse plastic directly on the soil and I'm going to seal the edges all the way around. It destroyed everything, everything underneath every square inch of plastic except the bindweed. The bindweed thrived. It grew, it had, it, had a, it had burn on all of its surfaces, 
But it, it was loving it. It just took right off. Yes, yes. So what he's saying is that uh, he's had Morning Glory grow underneath plastic for a month or more. Black, white plastic. Under, under black, white. So white on the bottom, black on the top. Yeah. So to absorb the heat and yet to block out all the, all the light penetration. So the Morning Glory continued to grow for a month, pulled it off. There it was. He flamed it, he says, and he didn't come back. I'm going to try that this year. I have another, uh, hopefully I can get to it in the next talk, but I do want to talk about destruction of weeds, rhizominous weeds versus annuals and so on. There are some tips to destroying rhizominous weeds that work uh, and that work in an organic system. Now, I have shredded my mulch before. That was four years ago. Uh, and I blew it on. Don't recommend that. I should have, because when you blow it on, it, the seeds have a higher velocity. Seeds aren't destroyed by the shredding, and they have a higher velocity, so they tend to go out. You know, it's the particulate density, right? The, the light chaff comes out of the blower, and it slows down quickly. All the seeds congregated in circles, so I had, had these rings of weed pressure. You know, every time I'd stop the blower and shredder, it would create a ring of seed. So, and it was challenging. But uh, if I had done it, spread it more evenly, I could also mechanically weed. I think that's a great idea. The other thing I could have done is to put on silage, chopped silage, because it would have already gone through a heat process and killed my, uh, that's a, that's a uh, dairy-style silage. Undercutting the garlic, I'm doing probably an 8-inch. You want to be, be about 4 inches, 2 to 4 inches under the bottom of the bulb. Uh, half an acre of garlic, gross sales. If you do good density, you have good sizing, and you do direct retail yourself, yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't see $40,000 off of that. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.